The following sermon was delivered by a guest preacher in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person, or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's our guest preacher. Thank you, Sarah, for your introduction. She's very generous. But she didn't tell you my most endearing quality, and that is that I'm very ordinary, and I have experienced God's redeeming love, and that is what qualifies me to preach to you for five weeks on ordinary folks from Scripture who also experienced God's redeeming love. I will say that after worshiping with you online for years, my husband and I are delighted to be with you in the room where it happens. We are praying that our time together will be used by God for the upbuilding of Christ's ministry in this hybrid church. May it be so. Author Pat Conroy says that the most powerful words in English are, tell me a story. Maybe you've had a child plead with you for a story before bedtime. During crisis, have you searched out a story to give you courage and hope? Do you come to church to be told a story that will get you through the day, the week, this season of your life? We have a story. The good book, as your pastor refers to the Bible, is a collection of stories of folks like you and like me who were looking for and found the storyline that sustained them and their loved ones. Stories that were passed down to us by those who imagined that we also might need a story as we long to recognize God's presence with us. Stories of God's redeeming love for all kinds of people. Stories that empower us to become part of God's story even now. Every time we hear these stories, we are hearing them differently as our circumstances change. Every time we hear these stories, we are drawn into a story that is bigger than our own. Every time we hear these stories, we recognize that God is part of our story. Most days, don't we want to know that God is present in the places where we live and work and play, where we grow up and grow old? In our longings and questions, in our problems and predicaments, in those crucial, precious, unrepeatable moments, God leads us into stories of redeeming love. And so when we hear desperate cries from every corner of the world, when our children were frightened or needing comfort, when we wait for the fulfillment of our most heartfelt longings, straining for a vision of God's reign in these days, here and now, we tell God's stories. My prayer is that in the weeks ahead, as we hear the stories of ordinary folks like us, we find forgiveness and direction and hope as we live through the seasons of our life. Today we begin 
at the very beginning of the good book with a story from Genesis. As we begin, I invite you to pray with me. Ever-present God, without your word, we have nothing to say. Without your spirit, we are hopeless. Surround us, we pray, with your Holy Spirit and speak to us that we might live in the fullness of all you created us to be through Jesus Christ. Amen. Hear God's word today from Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here begins the grand story of God promising to Abraham and Sarah a land, a nation, and a blessing upon their family, and commissioning them to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. What I love most about this promise is that it is sent into a situation of barrenness. The good news is not dependent upon the potential of the recipient. God calls the hopeless into community and promises them a future and sets them on their journey. However, knowing her barrenness, Sarah snickered. Um, hadn't God noticed that she had spent years grieving the fact that she could not have children? And now in her old age, God was promising her exactly what she knew she could not have. Surely God was not paying attention. Though tempted to reject God's promise altogether, Sarah set out to find her own way to take care of God's business to get that family started so they could occupy the land and build the nation and be a blessing. Sarah obtained the services of her Egyptian maid, Hagar, not for cleaning the tent or doing the laundry, but for having the baby that God promised to them. Now, don't get hung up here. Sarah was not the first or the last to seek help for getting a family started. I grant that Hagar's consent in this matter is unclear, but the point is that Abraham and Sarah were anxious about God's promise, and so they looked for another way. Now, since it was Sarah's idea in the first place, one might think she would have been pleased when Hagar became pregnant with Abraham's child, and one could think that Hagar could have been grateful to have been chosen to be part of God's plan. None of that happened. The good book says that once she conceived, Hagar looked with contempt upon her mistress. And the sight of Hagar's pregnant pregnancy was heartbreaking to Sarah. Not surprisingly, Sarah blamed her husband for the whole mess 
Poor old Abraham. He too had spent years waiting for the improbable, to have an improbable heir with Sarah. And now finally he has the prospect of becoming a father, though by another route. Yet Abraham also respected the wishes of his wife, and so he told Sarah to do as she wished with her maid, which Sarah did. According to scripture, Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, and Hagar fled from Sarah. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness and called out to her, Hagar, maid of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar responded, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they cannot be counted for their multitude. You shall bear a son and shall call him Ishmael, which means God sees, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And Hagar said, Behold, the God who sees me. Hagar, not an Israelite, but an Egyptian, a servant, a woman, is the only person in scripture to give God a name, El Roy, the God who sees me. God turned to an outsider, blessing Hagar and her child yet to be born. And Hagar then returned to the tents of Sarah with a different attitude because God had seen her. When Hagar's child was born, uh, there was not a big party but all were pleased. Hagar named her son Ishmael as testimony that God's compassion was not only for Abraham and Sarah's family. As time passed, Sarah did miraculously get pregnant. There was laughter and great merriment. God had broken the grip of hopelessness. When Sarah's child was born, she named him Isaac, which means laughter. And after the baby was weaned, Abraham hosted a great feast in honor of Sarah's son, the one upon whom so much of their faith rested. While they said that the party was for Isaac, I'm sure it was mostly a grown-up affair, offering toast, enjoying the food, and generally ignoring the children. It's easy to imagine that Ishmael took it upon himself to look after his little half-brother, Isaac. However, when Sarah looked over and spotted the sons of Abraham playing together, eating off the same plate, her now fully awakened motherly instincts gripped her. She had waited all her life for this child and nothing, nothing, would be allowed to diminish her expectations for him. Her vested interests distorted her judgment, causing her to see Ishmael as a threat to Isaac and to fear that Abraham's inheritance would be split between them. It bothered Sarah that this other child was also cherished by Abraham. Sarah feared that God was not paying attention to her child 
and so exiled the other woman and child as they were no longer needed. God's promises would be fulfilled through her son, Isaac. On the bulletin cover, you see an artist's rendering of Abraham bidding Hagar and her son farewell. The European artist painted what they knew. Note the background and how Hagar and her son appear a bit more European than Egyptian in this painting. We see what we know. Abraham had gotten up early to see Hagar and Ishmael off, preparing a lunch for them to take along, seeing them to the edge of the village. But surely he knew that without a tent and supplies and a camel, they didn't have a chance. Why didn't he do more for them? Hagar and her son wandered off into the wilderness, homeless, and as Abraham's provisions ran out, they were hungry. At that point, Hagar knew of nothing else to do but to take her son and lay him, his limp body, under a tree and go find herself a place to die. She wanted to be far enough away from Ishmael that she would not have to hear his death sobbing. And yet even with her hands over her ears, she heard above her own weeping the cries of her son, cries of hunger and abandonment and fear. The desolation of the wilderness was haunted by tears of hopelessness. Hagar felt completely alone in her anguish. But the God who sees again sent an angel to Hagar saying, fear not. God has heard the cries of the boy. Go to him and hold him tightly so that he will not be afraid, for I will make of him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes so that she saw a well of water. She went and filled a vessel with water and gave it to the boy to drink. God was paying attention, even to the child of the other woman. And so God's blessing of Sarah did not require the cursing of Hagar. God had enough grace for both of them. Like Sarah, we believe God's promises to us that in life and in death, we belong to God. But faith is not reasonable. And so like Sarah, we fear that God is not always paying attention to us and those we love. Like Sarah, we may believe that we must take care of God's business. Now, I grew up in the South some decades ago in the days of segregation, when our schools, churches, theaters, restaurants, libraries, swimming pools, parks were all segregated. Races of people were kept separate to make sure that little white children like me and my siblings had all that we needed and did not have to give up anything or suffer any intimidation because of other children. My understanding is that today is the 160th anniversary of the most destructive riot in US history and it took place 
here in New York City. A riot over the draft, federal power, and political narratives, and race. Surely race issues are one of the attempts to care for as our own as if God is not paying attention. Even as we hear scripture calling us, do not neglect the hospitality to strangers, for by so doing some have entertained angels without knowing it. Even then, we may resent the diversion of resources or attention to others. Yet God heard the cries of Ishmael, the child of the Egyptian slave, heard and saw and acted. It's not just about race, however. Others have fallen victim to what some have believed to be God's neglected business. A broad range of hate crimes reflects what we perceive to be our threat to our sense of security. In our own communities, people are laughed at, ignored, intimidated, murdered because of religion or culture or sexual orientation or economic condition or race. Yet as God's people, we cannot allow our vested interests in protecting our own to blind us to what is happening to the children of the other woman, to those who do not have an opportunity to use their full potential, to those not adequately represented, to no, those not able to receive the medical attention they need, to those who are homeless or hungry. God calls us to unmask idolatries in the church and culture to hear the voices of people long silenced and work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. Even today, God is paying attention to the children of the other woman and hears the cries of the hopeless. In Abraham and Sarah's story, God intervenes to save Hagar and her child. Yet. God's intervention on behalf of the other woman's child does not jeopardize the promises to Sarah's child in any way. Neither one had a monopoly on God's grace. And despite Abraham and Sarah's mistreatment of Hagar, God continued to bless Abraham and Sarah, even as God also blessed Hagar the Egyptian and her son. God's grace was enough enough for all of them. When Abraham grew old and died, both of his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, together buried their father. These were two brothers, one family. While this story is certainly good news to Hagar and Ishmael, many of us may be more familiar with Abraham and Sarah's place the ones whom God has blessed with a land, a nation, and a family. We are well acquainted with the judgment regarding who is in and who is out. And as one's charged to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, we shudder as the door slams on children of the other woman. We cringe because Hagar tells us that God sees and reaches out to the other people refusing to choose between the children of one mother and the children of another. Indeed, God kept the covenant with Sarah's child Isaac and made of him a great nation, Israel, 
and put him in the ancestral line of the Jewish nation. And God kept the covenant with the other woman's child, Ishmael, and made of him a great nation. As the Islam faith, the people, is, uh, excuse me, the Islam faith, a faith rapidly growing in proportion all around the world, looks to Ishmael in their ancestral line and their Abraham, I mean their Arab traditions. It's good news that God's blessings are enough for all of us. It was good news when this congregation recently decided to commission a portrait of Betsy Jackson that now hangs in your boardroom. Betsy was the other woman on that list of founding members from 1808. She was always the last one listed because she was enslaved by the first pastor here who in time freed her. It means a great deal that you have chosen to see her, to honor her, to allow this other woman to engage you in thoughtful conversation, in confession, and in reconciliation. Betsy Jackson will help us to better know the God who sees us all. Jesus encouraged his fathers, his followers, have no fear. God is paying attention to you. Sparrows are a dime a dozen, and yet God pays attention to the least of them. God pays even more attention to you, going to the trouble to number the hairs on your head. Therefore, do not be intimidated by the bullies of this world. I know this is not easy, but Jesus says, I have come to redefine your family relationships. If your first concern is to look after yourself and your own kind, you'll be lost and you'll never find yourself. But if you look to me, said Jesus, to take care of you and those you love, you will find yourself and the children of the other woman and me. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Receive this benediction in the words of Henry Frederick Emile in the 1800s. Life is short, and we do not have much time to gladden the hearts of those who journey with us. So be swift to love, make haste to be kind, be a blessing, and may the blessing of God who made us, who loves us, and who travels with us bless you and you and you and all your children, all your loved ones, today and for all eternity. Amen. Go in peace. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.